is a well-respected high school football scout, known for his unpopular opinion and brash commentary. The coach, Keith Miller. He's a well-respected national high school football recruiting analyst. Craig, Craig Biggins. Together they bring you the transparent truth. The world's number one source for high school football recruiting news and interviews. The transparent truth. Tr- 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 <laughs> welcome, welcome. You're now listening to the transparent truth. It's your boy, Coach Keith. El Jefe is what they call me down in Mexico City. I'm in studio, feeling good on a Tuesday, recording live on a Tuesday. I got my man Greg Biggins on the line. GB, what it do? Do they really call you El Jefe or did you give yourself that nickname? They call me El Jefe. And I'm taking that nickname across the globe, Greg Biggins. Oh, my goodness. What are these guys doing? You better get ready because I'm going to fill up your Twitter line. You know what? That's why I love that mute button, baby. <laughs> like I told you last week, what do they call my guy Goat Howard? If, if you're El Jefe, what is Goat Howard? The, exactly what you just said. Goat Howard. I just call him Goat Howard. Okay. Whatever. That's it. I say goat in Espanol. <laughs> That's, That's a sheep. <laughs> Every time they see Gary, they just do that. They just do that noise. That, that's beautiful. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. I but uh, yeah, hey, you know, back from Mexico City, I know there was a, a ton that has happened or that happened over the weekend with semifinal games. We'll get to talking about that as we move along here, GB. But as we like to kick off the show, we're going to get rolling with recruiting, my man. What do you have for us? The Transparent Truth Recruiting Report. So we have a couple new commitments, uh, a couple D commitments as well. Uh, the big news of the week was one of the elite D tackles out west, Fatui Tuatelli from St. Louis Hawaii High School in Honolulu, Hawaii, committed to Washington, which is obviously big for the Huskies. I already have a commitment from Jacob Bandit, so that gives the Huskies the top two D tackles out west. Gotta love those big boys up front. And, and you know, this was a, a situation where you know, Tuatelli appeared to be a, a strong Husky lean for a long time. I thought he might actually commit uh, over the summer, weighed a little bit, and uh, he's going to Washington. Key. It's a nice job, not just getting Tuatelli, but Washington's got those two big boys up front, Tuatelli and Big Jacob Bandis. It's a, I mean, you tell me a better defensive tackle recruiting class than that, Greg Biggins. I tell you right now, Fatua Tuatelli is a man. That is a man child. On the inside, and you know, listen, University of Washington, they do a great job. We, we talked about it before com- recruiting the Polynesian community. Fatua Tuitelli, probably their highest rated recruit, Greg Biggins, in a pretty long time, considering a Brandon Cajo didn't stay or didn't play. Um, you know, I don't know what the history is behind that, but Fatua Tuitelli, you look at this kid on tape, you're looking at an NFL player right now. Big, fast, physical, smart, technique savvy, plays with an unbelievable motor, passion for days, special player. Jacob Ben is <laughs> no pushover in his own right. He's a Pro Football Hall of Fame All-American. Big Bad Bandis is a beast on the interior. His quickness to get vertically up the field and penetrate is unlike any other really in high school football right now. He dominated at the opening on the inside. The Huskies, they have landed, like you said, Probably the top two defensive tackles on the West Coast, and and I'd argue to say that's the best uh, defensive tackle recruiting class, not only this year, Greg Biggins, but probably in the last, I don't know, three, four, five years maybe? It's not bad, man. It's not bad at all. And, and obviously, Washington, one thing about their staff, they do a great job developing guys, too. So, you sure. know, these guys aren't going to just be come in with their, with their high star rankings and not ever get any better. They are going to get better, and they're going to be very good. How about Reggie Strong? Orange Lutheran. No disappointing season for Reggie. He was hurt and missed at least the last five, six games. But uh, thankfully, he still had you know a handful of offers, and they stuck with him. And he committed to Fresno State, one of the top teams out west, the fighting Jeff Tedford. So, really strong running back, safety. He will play defensive back for the Bulldogs. And uh, nice job by Reggie. And also props to Fresno State for staying with the kid who uh, missed a lot of time this past year because of that injury, Keith. 
Yeah, I mean, Reggie's strong. I think it's a terrific fit. If Considering Reggie is a kid who plays with a chip on his shoulder. not He's not the biggest guy in the world, not the fastest guy in the world. He just plays with an attitude. He plays with a mean swagger. And I think if you look at that Fresno State program, they're built, you know, underneath that premise of, you know, we're going to come out and we're going to punch you in the mouth and we're going to be physical and we're going to dominate the line of scrimmage. They didn't against my Boise, bleed blue Boise State Broncos, but really like what Tefford's doing. Reggie Strong's a great fit for that program. Personality-wise and temperament-wise, he's going to do great things there. And uh, so congratulations to Reggie, the Strong family, and the Fresno State Bulldogs, who are, again, Greg, you talked about having a really good year. And one more commit here. We have JoJo Forrest, a phenomenal kid. And talk about just not obvious, not going to say come out of nowhere, but made that transfer uh, into Mission Viejo from Orange Lutheran. And first time playing wide receiver, put up huge numbers, uh, over 1,000 yards, big play guy. Uh, committed to Oregon State. He had options, uh, took his official visits to Washington State and Utah State, but he just said it came down to just comfort level. And he just felt most comfortable at Oregon State. Ironically, you know, it kind of came down the two Pac-12 schools, Oregon State and Washington State. And on his, you know, he visited Oregon State, Keith, when they played Washington State, and the Cougs kind of pounded those beads a little bit. But again, like I always tell people, it's not always about how you look the day of the game. People always have this fear of, you know, a kid takes a visit to a uh, to a um, one of the schools, and they get they lost, they lose. While he's there, they think, "Oh my gosh, we're gonna we're gonna lose everybody." Like, kids don't really care as much about the game as much as their you know their comfort level and how they fit in. And he felt like he fit in best at Oregon State. He's gonna go, like I said, to play corner. Um, I could see him playing a little bit of receiver down the road too. But first and foremost, he's, he's coming in as a cover corner. Uh, Oregon State playing for Greg Burns. Um, many people know him. He was CB coach under Pete Carroll at USC in their glory days. Jojo Forrest, Keith. I know you've been a big fan of his for uh, for quite a while. I have, Greg. It's interesting you say that. I actually had a conversation, a text conversation with his dad on my way to the studio this morning. And I told him how proud I was of JoJo, how proud I was of his, his father. Um, it's a family I've known for a long time, Greg. I don't know if you know the background. I'm sure our fans don't. But uh, JoJo's father, Chris, we went to school together. He played with my older brother at Luzinger High School. We all went to school together, kind of grew up in the same community together. So I've been knowing Chris for a really long time. JoJo, I've been watching since probably... He's around seven or eight years old. I knew the kid had the goods. It was only a matter of time until he really rose up, turned on the juice, and went out there and played the way I knew he was capable of. Uh, so shout out to the family. Shout out to JoJo. Very proud of him. Very happy for him. Oregon State's a great place. Corvallis is a college town. He's going to enjoy it, enjoy college life, campus life, and uh, also be a heavy contributor on the football field. They're doing a great job recruiting right now at Oregon State. He's getting in transfers, getting some high-profile three-star players to come in. They're going to snatch a couple four-stars. We know what Jamar Jefferson's doing up there right now uh, as a, as a three-star running back out of Narbonne from the 2017 class. Oregon State Beavers making a run on the recruiting trail, but happy for JoJo. And like you said, Greg, he's had he had a, a really, really good year. I can see him being a first-team all-CIF selection uh, in the Pac-5 or Division One, whatever they call it now. He was an impact player for sure. Uh, elite as a receiver this year, but also a very, very skilled and very productive defensive back can cover, can run, and uh, he did a nice job. So congratulations to the Forrest family. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, then we, decommitment, and I don't think this will be the last. Obviously, uh, you probably heard about the news while you are in Mexico. Mike McIntyre let go at Colorado. Yes. Uh, they did a phenomenal job recruiting Southern California kids. I talked to just a few of them, but uh, KJ Trujillo, uh, went ahead and opened up his recruitment yesterday. And uh, KJ committed to Colorado originally over Oregon. That was uh, one of the few crystal ball predictions that I missed. He, I really thought he was going to Oregon. Uh, he visited Oregon for their spring game, and, and he's you know, nearly committed. And I, I thought, you know, matter of time, but he took that visit to Colorado and said, hey, you know, I told him I was going to come. I wanted to honor my word and went out there and loved it and went ahead and committed. So he's going to open it up. Um, you can bet. There'll be a lot of schools that will come back in on KJ, schools that were in on him early in the process. Obviously, Oregon was a big one. I could see schools like Washington State and Oregon State and a few other schools like that. Um, not decommitting yet, but uh, Mark Perry, Ranch Cucamonga, told me he's going to take his trips. So another guy who was an early CU commit, Perry had a great year playing running back, but he's going to be 
uh, a defensive back and, you know, kind of a thick kid, six feet, 200 pounds, kind yeah. of built like a safety, but a good athlete, 38-inch vertical jump wow. uh, at, the, at the regional back in, back in March. But uh, Mark told me he's already been hit up by Baylor and TCU, Oregon State. Those are three schools that he said he potentially could take a visit to. And then Titus Toller, another CU commit. Uh, I, I think Tad, in a perfect world, Titus would love to stay committed. You know, his dad played at Colorado, and he's been there a ton of times. It just feels like home for him. But, obviously, he's got to kind of wait and see. And in the meantime, you know, Arizona State was the school that I could see getting in touch with him. In fact, they already have gotten in touch with him. Uh, he got offered by ASU um, about a week before he committed, but he was already set to go ahead and commit to CU. So he never made that visit to ASU. He says uh, he would love to go check out the Sun Devils and, Obviously, right now, ASU is kind of a hot program. So, Titus, I know he's interested in ASU and Washington State. There's another school that has already reached out to Mr. Titus Toller. Uh, some big-name visitors over the weekend. Keith Stephon Wright from Cathedral High School. He took uh, his last official visit to Washington, and he's going to commit this Wednesday, Keith. So, when this show airs, yeah. um, it's probably going to happen right around the time he's going to announce. I think it's 12 o'clock is when he is going to be announcing. That's probably kind of right, right around the time the show is going to end on Wednesday. Uh, I mentioned visited, visited UW, but I think Arizona State is the school right now, unless he was absolutely just blown away on that trip to Washington, which the Huskies are very capable of doing. Uh, I think ASU, though, is, is in a good spot, and if they were to land uh, Stephon Wright, that would be a huge, huge pickup for them. Oregon uh, had a handful of visitors. Uh, a couple of uh, committed players were out there for their officials, Javon Wilson, and then unofficially Jeremiah Cradell and, and Sean Dollars. And, you know, Jeremiah Cradell, Keith, was, was the one to keep your eye on. He visited Oklahoma two weeks ago, mm-hmm. officially. And I know the Sooners uh, made a big impression on Jeremiah. Um, I can always tell, Keith, when a kid likes a school and he's doing a lot of, a lot of soul searching. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I know this is because when a player I know really, really well suddenly doesn't get back to you, that means that there's some serious thoughts going on and they don't really want to share those thoughts yet with with anyone. So uh, I did talk to Jeremiah after their game against Centennial over the weekend. And, you know, I, again, he was playing pretty coy. I'm not going to give away too much of what he said. Um, but he did like Oregon. He was back there this past weekend and that was smart of Oregon to get him right back on campus because there, there was some buzz that OU might be able to, be able to flip him. Uh, so Oregon got him right back on campus last weekend unofficially. And obviously that was already planned, but the timing was perfect to get him back down there and kind of, you know, give him those Oregon vibes all over again and <laughs> make him feel, hey, remember why you committed here in the first place? Right. So uh, Keith Hayward is his lead recruiter. And, uh, yeah, he's planning to sign in December, so he's got about a month to go. I don't think it's over. I think Oregon probably jumps back, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with that one. And then I uh, just real quick, Keith, um, and I'll let you share your thoughts. UCLA had a pretty big weekend as well. Our official visitors, most of the guys officially visiting were committed committed players. Uh, Shamar Martin, good-looking DB from San Diego. John Ward, the linebacker uh, from Palmdale. Big Mike Martinez uh, from Modern Day, uh, who recently picked up an offer from Washington. He, he wasn't sure if he'll take that visit to UW. He, he said he feels pretty good about his UCLA commitment. My, my gut is he will take that visit to, to Washington, but I still think UCLA is in a, in a good spot. And then Eisenhower, two-way lineman. I, I hate trying to say this name. I Satoa Laumea. Satoa Laumea, yes. Uh, I think UCLA probably leads for him now, which is which is big. You know, I say he's a two-way guy. They want him as an offensive guard, and uh, they want to build up that offensive line. And one thing about UCLA, you know, I, I watched their offensive line play early on, early on the year, and I'll tell you what, man, I wasn't impressed at all. In the last four or five weeks, they've been able to run the ball pretty Absolutely. effectively. So got to mm-hmm. give some credit to uh, the O-line coach over there, Justin Fry coming from Boston College, and obviously Chip Kelly knows how to run the football. So not want to say uh, UCLA's O-lineman was, was garbage, but I'll tell you what, they get results with players who I didn't know if they were that good outside of my guy Chris Murray. So uh, props to uh, UCLA, and I think they made a big impression on LaMea. Also looking at USC, also looking at Utah. He will visit Utah in a few weeks. And uh, also looking at Arizona State. So I do think UCLA is probably in a good spot for him. And then... Um, a couple quick offers out here. A couple uh, underclass 2021 guys over the weekend picked up some pretty big offers. Rajon Davis from Modern Day, Blinded Oregon. Devin King, uh, 21 DB from Sarah Line and Ole Miss. And I, I love this name, Keith. Champion Johnson. 
Wow. I'm a 21 class from Bishop High School in La Jolla. Maybe people know uh, that school um, because of Tyler Buckner, the elite quarterback over there. But Champion Johnson, a 6'2", 220-pound athlete, he landed an offer from Oregon as well. So, and if your name is Champion Keith, you better be a good football player. I mean, that better not, not just be a you know a, a cool name. If you got it, you got to produce. If you if you have a name like that, and watch the kid tape, looks pretty good. He's like a linebacker, right? Slash fullback, slash H back, slash tight end, a jumbo so, athlete, jumbo athlete. Absolutely, that's what he looks like to me. So, and I already mentioned Stephon Wright. This Wednesday, we're making his decision, and uh, that is about it for recruiting notes, Keith. Yeah, a couple things, Greg. I just kind of jotted down some notes as you were talking. Number one, Stephon Wright. I really like him out of Cathedral High School. You talk about Arizona State is probably your crystal ball pick. Is that where you crystal balled him, GB? Or you uh, have? Yep. Yep. Y- I have yeah? yep that's okay. My, that's why I'm. Yep. Yeah. So with Fatua Tuitelli committing to Washington over the weekend, that leads me to believe that Stefan Wright is probably going to head to Arizona State. They, they don't have to be mutually exclusive those two decisions, but um, I just think it's probably going to be a, a better situation for him over there in terms of. Uh, depth chart, playing time, and uh, you know space. So that'll be interesting. Stephon Wright, Arizona State. We know the type of job that uh, you know Coach Herm Edwards and linebacker coach and then a recruiting coordinator Antonio Pierce have done a marvelous job uh, recruiting Southern California. And they continue to, to make moves and make waves. I uh, want to move along the Colorado's coach fire coach McIntyre who I have a lot of respect for Greg guy did a terrific job at San Jose State turned around that program did a terrific job again at Colorado turned around that program um, made some some very questionable decisions um, kind of off the field and then uh, kind of slid a little bit on the field in terms of wins and losses and He's got a, he got the can. Do you have any idea, Greg, who the next Colorado co- coach may be moving forward? You know, you hear all the names, and it's kind of the names you expect to hear. You know, Jeff Tedford's name was mentioned. Uh, Jim Levitt's name was mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Helford's name was mentioned, the former Oregon coach. Right. Um, so there's a lot of routes they could go. If they want to hire a, a hot assistant, you know, they can go that route. Jimmy Lake is a name, the uh, current D.C. from Washington, a phenomenal recruiter and one of the best D.B. coaches out there. I, I'm kind of intrigued by that. I kind of like Jimmy Lake a lot. If you want to go with a, you never want to. I'm not going to say a retread. That sounds bad, but like a former head coach uh, who maybe is, is, you know, then you go for a guy like Helfrich. I think. What about a guy like Jeff Tedford? You know, what's, what he's done at Fresno State has been phenomenal. Sure. And uh, you know, but again, if they want to go young, they want to, you know, go with a proven head guy. So a lot of options there. I'm with you. I like Coach Mack, but I kind of wonder almost if if some of these off field, off off the field stuff. Had had as much impact as you know the current what I like got a six game lose. They are five and zero oh this year, Keith. They right. lost it the last five six years, five six games in a row. So I'm almost wondering if the off the field stuff had a, a little bit to do with not just the record on the field. Yeah. No, it, it's it's um it's definitely a thing. Want to move along, Jeremiah Cradell, That visit to Oklahoma spoke to Jeremiah as he was out in Oklahoma, and I got a vibe. You know what I got vibe? I got, I got that Buki vibe. You know, you know <laughs> Buki vibe. You know what that? Of hey, listen, man. When Buki creeps in your DMs and Buki's your host, and you know everything is available and open for access, GB. Jeremiah Cradell out in Oklahoma. It's it's it surprised me, but didn't shock me. And uh, but. I tend to think he's going to stay with Oregon. He and Coach Keith Hayward are very, very close. They have a very, very strong relationship. I don't think Jeremiah is going to renege on that. I think he'll stay and be a duck. But uh, don't count out that bookie factor, man. It's strong. It's strong, man. Stronger than you than you could ever imagine, Greg Biggins. Trust me when I tell you. Um, and then lastly, Satoa Laumea. There's a story here, Greg. So... And it seems like I've said this already in this show because I probably have. I've known Satoa probably since he was about uh, five years old. His brother, Fatu Lamea, played for me at Compton High School, 05 and 06 and 07. He was our big right tackle. He was about 6'1 and about 300 pounds, 300 plus. And Satoa used to run around the field and be a little bad kid. But his parents were at every practice, every game. Um, I love the Laumea family. And uh, 
you fast forward 10 years later, Greg, from, you know, kind of 07, and Satoa is 6'4 and a quarter. He's 305. He's probably the most athletic offensive guard in the country at that size. I'm sure you've watched the tape. Very, very impressive. His feet are extremely quick. He's very athletic on levels two and three. Um, he's physical on contact. He can bend. Um, he's flexible. He does a great job using his hands as a blocker. Uh, I think he needs to clean up some things in terms of pass pro, but I really love him as a prospect. This is a NFL offensive guard in the making, and and I know he's not rated extremely high. I think uh, 247 has him 37th in the country in his position, and uh, I venture to say that um, he's – He's being overlooked in that rating aspect. This is a very good football player, and he will be a better college and pro player than he is a high school player, and he's already very good. So Satoa Laumea, a kid I've known for over 10 years and his family, and uh, he, like you said, UCLA may be the spot for him, but just a big-time football player. wanted to shout him out and show him some love. Nice, nice, nice. No, I, I like him too. I actually think we might have him a, a little bit low. I like his. I think I thought his tape was really good as a defensive player too. But yeah. I think offensive guard wise, definitely see the upside there. So uh, that'll be huge if you still like can. Some, they need some offensive line, but they think they've proven they can actually develop guys pretty well. So that, that might be a good spot for him. I know we had a, had a great weekend visit. So. Hey, speaking. Yeah, yeah I know you're yeah, done. But, but speaking of speaking of UCLA, I just want to touch on. I, okay, so I didn't see the UCLA USC game. I was on the airplane at that point, but I did, you know, see all the texts when I land and tried to look at the game cast. What did you see, Greg Biggins? You know, I didn't watch the whole game. Um, <laughs> neither, neither did anybody else. It seems like I did, I, I did not watch it. Um, it was one of those days where I had a lot going on. So. Sure. No, but what it was was, uh, you know, UCLA ran the ball. You know, they were able to run the ball with Joshua Kelly, the UC Davis transfer, and that was that was big. You know, both teams, neither team could really stop each other in the first half. And the second half, uh, UCLA got some stops. You know, and I going in, I, I thought, you know what, I, I think UCLA's playing better right now. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, you know, close losses to Washington, Oregon, Arizona sure. State. But I, I just felt, you know, USC just has such a talent advantage. I go, it'll, it'll be close, but I think USC will find a way to get, get the win just because the talent advantage was, was pretty, I thought the disparity was pretty big. And watching the game, I still felt that way. I thought USC had more individual talent, but UCLA was, was ready to go, made some big stops mm-hmm. at the end, right. and uh, they were able to run the ball and get it done. So, man, it's, there's something to be said about running the football. Oh, what a shocker. You hearing this, Sean McVay? What a Sorry. shocker. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad my Rams won last night. What a game to, last not night. To, not to change the subject um, from UCLA, but would you have been able to go to that game if it had stayed in Mexico? Were you not going to complete well, different? I, what do you mean? Was I, gonna, I had tickets. I had sideline passes. I had the whole nine. Absolutely. Yeah. It was It was half the reason why I was out there, in addition to all my other duties out in Mexico City. But, yes, um, and, and it was crushing to the Mexican people. I mean, They've estimated, you know, in the 50 millions of dollars that they've lost just wow. from that game being moved from Mexico City. So um, very, very, um, very affected. Disappointing. Yeah, yeah, disappointing and very affected neg- negatively in the community. But I know that they are excited about the World Bowl and uh, I'm excited about that. So, uh, yeah, man, it was it was it was a game last night, man. What a game that was. Dude, it was like one of those games where I'm watching it and I couldn't even breathe. Like I, I was just having like anxiety, yeah, just because of the way the game was going. And it's just like I was just there was no way I, I thought they would get a stop, you know. And I was I was stoked that we got the late the late score. Yeah, but I, the sports ball was that everyone said too early. We're yelling too early because <laughs> the Rams hadn't shown that they could stop them. Other than a couple of Darnold, you know, sacks. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, they got a couple stops and. Yeah, but I was, you know, you know me. I say it all the time. Todd Gurley is their best player on offense, and just maybe he got hurt on that little light tackle out of bounds. He did, but it, My, it yeah. was frustrating to right. watch. And if if he was hurt, Keith, which maybe he was, then Malcolm Brown is a, is a heck of a running He's back. Good. I feel. Yeah, you got to run the football more. Like Goff made some throws, but I felt like you got to run the football, and they won. So hats off. But I, I still felt like they made it more difficult than themselves by a couple late three and outs by trying to be too cute. Yeah. Which is something they've done a lot this year is trying to get too cute and they still find ways to win, but I don't know, man. We gotta we gotta show up the defense and, and I think we gotta 
run the ball a little bit more if we want to go all the way, which is what this team should be able to do. But yeah, it was a fun game to watch, man. It was oh, a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah, I didn't I didn't want to get up to get a drink because I thought I was going to miss something. <laughs> um, it, it was that good of a game. You know, a couple of just observations. I said it last night on Twitter. Donald, Donald, excuse me, Aaron Donald is the best player in football, in my opinion. Best player in football. I totally uh, agree. I mean, you know, somebody came on and said, no, it's Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack is great. Great. And it, not taking anything away from him. But Aaron Donald is different, different. The guy has 15 sacks as a three technique. That's yeah. ridiculous. He's going to end up with 20-plus sacks, Greg, as yeah. an interior defender. As an interior guy. And, you know, I totally agree with you. And I, Khalil Mack, if someone wanted to say Khalil Mack, I'd say, sure, I, I wouldn't argue with that. But it's an inside guy versus an outside guy. It's right. way harder. Yes. The guy never sees anything but a double, sometimes a triple. Right. And he still gets a push. And he, he still makes plays. Just, it doesn't matter. The guy plays so hard every single play. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. I, was pr- I was happy for Marcus Peters. Marcus Peters bounced back, made a couple plays. He had a rough kind of season so far <laughs> I know his yeah, dad personally Michael Peters head coach yeah. of Oklahoma Climbers, and I was I was glad to see Marcus bounce back make some plays and, and uh, really see that spirit come back you know the infectious spirit that he has but man who can guard Cheetah Hill man nobody nobody I, I had a discussion with Ryan Clark and Ryan Clark told me Keith Hill is not a number one receiver and I just I just looked funny I just Sat there like, okay. If you say so, Ryan, who can guard Cheetah Hill, Greg? Nobody. Yeah, I mean, he might be the fastest receiver. Or do I even need to say receiver? No, I mean, he's no. Got like a, there's like speed, and there's like different. He's got like a different level of speed. It's, oh, I actually felt like they did a good job on him for the most part. And then I looked, at he had like a thousand yards and like ten catches. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had like, yeah, our secondary isn't too good. I mean, he had Sam Shields just trying to cover him, and that's like you know my nine year old trying to cover me in basketball. Right. That was just like Sam Shields probably shouldn't be in the league. God, God bless the guy, but that was that was a tough cover. It was interesting, Keith. That they had you know Marcus Peters covering Travis Kelf most of the night, and I'm going okay. This is our big acquisition at corner, and he's covering the other team's tight. I don't know. If, I couldn't tell the, the scheme of the defense yeah. on TV, but. It just seemed like, man, Peters, don't you want him covering the other team's top receiver or do you want to put him on the tight end? It was I was happy for Marcus as well. I know Michael Peters mm-hmm. very well, mm-hmm. but it was just interesting. Marcus overall did a good job, but uh, yeah, I was like, okay, this is weird. We got our, our corner covering their tight end, who's a great tight end. Great. But, like, yeah. They got a couple receivers, Sammy Watkins and then Hill. Yeah. But hey, whatever. It just gave up 50 points in one. That's kind of hard to do. Very hard to do. And I, and I think the thinking was uh, by defensive coordinator is, you know, Kelsey's their go-to guy. Hill is unstoppable, sure. but Kelsey's their go-to guy. So you want to put your best available cover guy on their go-to guy and then try to bracket and match up, you know, with Cheetah on the outside. But that's, that's yeah. a difficult team to cover, to defend. Patrick Holmes is sensational. Just what a game. Uh, yeah. Want to move along, but it deserved its time on our show. Sure. That was that sure. was outstanding. It was just outstanding football. Um, so let's move along. It's time, GB. It's time, my man. It's time for our Sleeper of the Week. It's time for our Sit and Sleep Sleeper of the Week. Really want to thank our guy, Larry Miller. He's allowing us to showcase unknown prospects that need to be brought to the spotlight. Larry is all about family and community, and his support is helping to change the lives of young players across the country. Each week, young men are getting scholarship offers after being featured on this show. So thank you, Larry. When we have business and a man that is really interested in the community, we need to show our support right back at him. Sit and Sleep is the only place that offers advanced sleep technology. Greg? Body diagnostics. That's five-star stuff. This is high-quality stuff. Lay down on a mattress, and within seconds, thousands of sensors can help you find the absolute right mattress for you. Wow, within seconds? Seconds. Man, that's awesome. Sit and Sleep. They'll beat anyone's advertised price or your mattress is free. Appreciate you, Larry Miller. Thank you, Larry. All right, our sleeper of the week this week hails from Orange Lutheran High School. Got a chance to look at this kid thoroughly in depth. Look at his game tape. Look at his highlight tape. Talking about 2021 cornerback Robert Reagan. 
Robert Reagan, six feet, 160 pound corner, lean, long armed, athletic, ball skills. I think he, he doubles as a receiver or was a former receiver. Best thing about him, Greg, is his ability to find the football in phase. How many times have we talked about guys clutching and grabbing, panicking when the ball's in the air, getting called for pass interference, for holding, whatever the case may be. This kid has a knack, GB, of getting his head around, finding and tracking the ball, and trying to make a play on it. Now, is he always clean with making that play? Not always. He's a young kid. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some. But he does a great job of finding. The key, number one, is finding the football. If you're comfortable with finding the ball, then you can make a play on the ball. When you can make a play on the ball, the receiver has less of a probability to make the play on the ball, which then, you know, your profile goes up as a guy that can cover and make plays and turn the football over. So Robert Reagan, 2021 Orange Lutheran cornerback GB. I know you mentioned off air that he just received an offer from Oregon. So apparently they see the same things that I see uh, because they do a great job. Coach Williams, Coach uh, uh, Keith Hayward. Is that the ASU? My bad. It was, it was ASU? Yeah. That's okay. What I, did I say or I think I said Oregon because I was reading my notes about okay. all the other. I'm sorry. I think it, yeah, it was, the, it was the Sun Devils. Okay. So, again, Herm, a former DB coach, he knows and understands how important it is to get that head around and find the football. And that's at a premium, Greg. If you can find those guys, they, you know, they take your defense to a whole nother level. I'm sorry. Because... You do not need to apologize. I agree with you. Man, go go to the local schools. There's one school who the DBs can't find the football, and they like to clutch and grab. And then there's the other local school who's they got some young corners, but their guys find the ball, they make plays on the ball, and they are ascending. It, it's worth its weight in gold if you ask me. So Robert Reagan, Orange Lutheran, 2021 cornerback. He's our sleeper of the week, GB. No, I like it. No, good kid. And, uh... I think that offer is going to, well, you know, that'll be the first of, of many. Uh, kind of a part-time starter. I think the last half of the year he kind of got rolling. And yeah. I think he finished, you know, 40, 40 some tackles. So uh, not, a, not bad for a young sophomore lad. Yeah, no question about it. Let's move along, man. We got our top performers. I have probably the smallest list I've ever had in our top performers. <laughs> uh, coming from Mexico City in the busy weekend that I've had. But a couple guys stood out for me. And... Um, I'm going to talk, I'll start with the losing end. J.P. Andrade from Bonita, the quarterback. 35 of 58, 498 yards and three touchdowns. They took an L in the semifinals, but he had a huge game. He's thrown for close to 4,000 yards and like 42 touchdowns. A tremendous, tremendous year by Andrade from Bonita High School. And then, of course, the throwing Samoan. I don't know. Can I? That already Somebody already has that nickname, but... What more can you say about junior quarterback DJ Uwe Analelei, St. John Bosco, 385, six touchdowns. I did get a chance to see that game while I was in Mexico City via live stream, and uh, he was pretty He was pretty good. He was pretty good. He's got a, a plethora of receivers that can make plays. They were playing against a team that was a speed and talent mismatch, especially on the outside, and... Uh, Bosco took advantage. So, DJ, congratulations. JP, congratulations. You guys are my top performers. GB? So, the top performer for me, I was at the game, modern day Centennial Elias Ricks. Yep. Not one, not two, not three pick sixes all in the first half. And we'll get to that game later on when we kind of break down some of these games. But, uh, no, that, that's, that's six pick sixes for Ricks for the year. Unfortunately, I believe two of those were called back. So, still not too shabby. Four, that's a good career for some high school players. Four pick sixes in mm. one season. Uh, great job by Elias. Jaden Daniels is always on here. He is on here again. Big win for them over Capo Valley. Couple behind win over Capo Valley, Keith. Jaden threw for 289 and three touchdowns. Also rushed for 113 yards. His main guy was Darren Jones. Ten catches, 101, and a touchdown. And they beat, I mentioned Capo Valley, Nathan Manning, uh, their quarterback, uh, going to Cal to play some baseball. But he threw for 292 yeah. and five touchdowns. So nice job by Nathan Manning. Obviously, Jane Daniels survives and advances to the championship game. Upland 
they keep surviving and advancing, man. They upset Calabasas. Yeah, man. I think a lot of us thought Calabasas was the team to beat in that bracket. But Cameron Davis, you know how you beat a team like Calabasas, Keith? You run the ball. Cameron Davis, 37 carries. Keith. Wow. 37. Man, I would love to see Todd Gurley get the ball 37 times one game. I hear that. 37 carries for 190 and two touchdowns. Uh, the big play receiver for them, Taj Davis. Had uh, four catches for 103. Had a 73-yarder. A bomb. Touchdown. Yeah. And then, uh, speaking of carrying the football, uh, Lontrell Diggs, Grace Brethren, survived in advance in overtime over Villa Park. Lontrell had 30 carries for 133 and two touchdowns. Uh, also advancing, John Humphreys and the Corona Del Mar Sea Kings. Humphreys had 10 catches for 224 and three touchdowns. And that is about all I have. Little little light for me for the stat stars of the week as well. You know, quickly want to talk about that Rick's performance, Greg. I know we're going to get to it in game recaps, but I wasn't able to see it. I did see the highlights. Pretty phenomenal performance put on by the junior cornerback. It. Is there going to be an argument, Greg? And I'm just—I'm going to ask you. I know what I think. I'm going to ask you: Is there going to be an argument about Elias Ricks being the number one player in the nation next year in the junior class? Is there an argument there? Woo! Yes, I think there there should be. He should be in the discussion, right? Are you saying should there be a discussion, or should there should there be like a no doubt about it? He should be number one. And should there should he be in the discussion? Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because I mean, I know, I know. This year we have uh, we have Stingley as our number, you know, number two player. Right. He's gonna be number one, so it's not unprecedented to have a corner right. that high. Um, yeah, obviously the quarterbacks always get the, the boost because that's you know this is based on the NFL draft. And you, you don't really see a lot of corners go number one overall. You see a lot of quarterbacks go number one overall. But no, I think Elias definitely should be on that very short list, man. He is a special talent. I, the one I, I don't consider it a knock. I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate, Keith. The one knock is he's a mid, you know, mid to high four six guy. That's what people will say. Mm-hmm. But I would counter that by saying, on the football field, I have never seen him not be an extremely hyper explosive, quick twitch kid, explode on the ball out of his breaks. Six three length with a prototype frame. He's not big and thick and bulky. He is a lean. Cheetah. Can I steal Hill's name? We call him Cheetah Ricks. And he moves. Dude, he just moves so fluidly and his instincts are off the charts and he plays so hard. So, no, dude, I, I like him. I like him in that discussion for sure. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm on record right now, Greg, saying he's the number one player in the junior class. I'm okay. on record. You can put me on record. He's the best prospect in the junior class. If you go back and you had a chance to go draft Andrew Luck. You had a chance to go back and draft, you know, Todd Gurley. And you had a chance to go back and draft Richard Sherman. Which of those three guys would you take on your team if you had a chance to go back and draft them, you know, at their prime or in their heyday or whatever? I'd take Richard Sherman out of those three guys. Yeah, and I would probably... I'd probably take Andrew Luck in their prime. Just because I think quarterback is so hard to find. And I think in his prime, Andrew Luck was, was really, really good, but... I, I won't argue with you. It's just, you know, just, uh, you, you like mint chip. I like, soccer, you know. Yeah, sure. I won't argue. I think Richard Sherman's phenomenal, but I, I'd always lean to the quarterback if he was, you know, a, a franchise guy like Andrew Luck. But, uh, no, I get what you're saying. I won't, I would, I won't argue with that at all. I like church. Love Sherman. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's, uh, that, that's something we'll be talking about, I'm sure, as, as the offseason moves along. But, uh, GB, let's get to it, man. We're talking game recaps, right? Game recaps. You're going to kind of lead us as, you know, you were here. You were in the States. So get us going. We're talking semifinals. Let's get to it. So let's start off with where we've been kind of starting off every week, which is Division 5. All right. So we had, once again, Palos Verdes taken out, taken down Glendora 26 to 21. You've been on that PV bandwagon hey, the last couple weeks. <laughs> Yeah. They're making you look good. Yeah. And they're going to take on a Lawndale team who beat St. Paul 20-7. to 7. I need to text Travis Clark. You know, Jordan Wilmore hasn't played in a while. He, he played last week, Greg. 
I, I heard he didn't play like three or four weeks in a row. So if he played last week, that was... Uh, I saw a highlight with him in it. That's all I'm saying. No kidding? Okay, that's yeah. good. Oh, he caught, like a, he caught like a screen pass from another got sideline. Right, right. Okay, so he missed the previous four or five games. Okay. I was on Max Prep looking at the stats. I'm going, interesting. That's going to put a severe... It's going to change my my prediction for the final if, if Will score isn't playing. Huh. So... But uh, okay, so well, shoot, they they got it done. Then it was uh, it was twenty to seven uh, over St. Paul. Um, not the prettiest game in the world, but you know what? At this point, who cares? It's going to set up a great final. Palace Verdes, Lawndale. Schools aren't too far apart from each other. There you go, Keith. We'll talk. Don't don't talk about the talk about the game too yeah. much because we got a preview yeah. on Friday. Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, PV winning Glendora and then uh, Lawndale. Getting past an always gritty, gutty, top St. Paul team. Yeah, that's uh, Palace Verdes, man. This is what they do. And uh, Lawndale taking that next step in the development of their program, find themselves in the championship. It's going to be a tough go at it with PV. So we'll see how that, we'll talk about that on Friday show, GB. Let's move along. Yeah, so I'm on this, just to, just to follow up on my earlier point, yeah, Wilmore, he's only played in six games. So he hasn't played since the uh, Cobra City game. I remember he got hurt. That was the Fox game of the week. He got hurt in that game. So um, if he played this past week, and that was his first game since October 5th. So he's missed over a half a year. So great to see him back. And I almost wonder if Travis kind of, you know, rested him until this game and let him go at it. So D4, the uh, top half of the bracket went as expected with CDM, Cordell Mar. They're the number one seed. They rolled over Camarillo, 49-17, to 17, Keith. Ethan Garbers, John Humphreys, both had big games there. Maybe one of the games of the weekend was Grace Brethren uh, over Villa Park, 34-31. to 31. Keith, Villa Park was down. Or excuse me, Villa Park was up 21 to nothing. Wow. And Grace Brethren rallied. This game went into overtime, and they were able to, uh, to get it done. Um made some throw plays in the throat in the passing game, which is they don't really make a, a ton of plays in the passing game, but they were able to this uh, this past week. And um, Phillip Park kicked the field goal in overtime. Grace Brother, Grace Brother got the ball uh, last and punched it in from a yard, a couple yards out. Lontrell digs. And Grace Brother going to a final, which is a great story. People understand just how many players they lost due to transfers um, and to come back in a higher division playing against a Villa Park team that's that was really, really good right. all season long and, and the way like I said, the way they won it with you know, they made some big plays, you know, in the passing game late. They were down I think ten points in the last couple you know, last half of the fourth quarter too. And they made some plays in the passing game to get to get that win. So hats off to Grace Brethren. Obviously hats off to the current Omar as well for getting this far. And uh, should make for a really, really fun, intriguing, contrasting styles in that championship game. Well, it sounds like a terrific game. I know Diggs scored. I, I, I don't know if it was game winning or the two point conversion to win it in overtime, but I saw him bust somebody up at the goal line and roll into the end zone. Villa Park up 21 nothing, couldn't hold the league. And uh, Grace Brethren, they make me, what is that, 3 and 0 so far? 3 and 0? Because I called Grace, uh, I called Palace Verdes. And I called Lindale. So I'm 3 0 right now, GB. Let's keep it moving. 3 0. But you did have, I think you had Cardinal Mar losing to Oak Hills. So. To, in the semifinals? You had Oak Hills beating Cardinal Mar in the, in the quarters. Yeah, no, we ain't talking about last week, Greg. We're talking about right oh, now. Yeah, I, 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 semifinals, okay. my man. Come on. I bet you met the whole. Come the on, man. All right, Division 3. We had Cajon. In a nail bite, like I already mentioned before, with the stat stars, the yeah. so they pulled this one out, forty-six to forty-two. Come from behind, win. Other side of the bracket, Sierra Canyon, man, that's a scary team. Sierra Canyon uh, beat up on Citrus Hill, twenty-seven to three. I talked to a couple of coaches that are predicting a Sierra Canyon win over Cajon this weekend because their defense, they feel, is so much more efficient, but. Cajon to beat them. You got to outscore them. Capital Valley almost pulled that off. They were up uh, into the second half, into the fourth quarter before Jane Daniels did what he does. Man, yeah. plays his arm and his legs. Uh, so great job by Capital Valley. Great season. Uh, a little just little too much Jaden. And then Sierra Canyon, uh, AJ Gable, 
uh, Chaney Perry. They're kind of like the dynam- dynamic duo for those two guys. Yeah. That is going to be a great final. I picked Cajon from the very beginning, but uh, and I'm not going to hedge on that, but I will not be surprised if Sierra can pull off the upset. Again, that will be a Friday discussion. Uh, but Cajon and Sierra Canyon survive in advance. Man, that's nice. Uh, Cajon really pushed by Capital Valley. I kind of had a feeling they would. Capital Valley is a strong program, Greg. They're, they're in the finals or the semifinals every year, kind of yeah. in their division, their respective division. Sierra Canyon, they've been steamrolling people. You talk about setting up a great matchup in that final. Sierra Canyon, with a balanced attack, can run it with Gable, can throw it with Peary. They play tough defense. Harvey on the corner. He's going to try to match up with big six foot eight. It's going to be fun. Cajon, Sierra Canyon, man. That, that's going to be a great, great final and probably the best final in terms of competition, GB, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's going to D2, so maybe they'll – it's most insane. I gotta send you the video, Keith. Rancho Verde over Sherman Oaks, Notre Dame. Uh, excuse me, Notre Dame, Sherman Oaks. 41 to 38. So Rancho's down by 10. About a minute and a half to go. And scores a touchdown. Onside kick recovers it. Okay. Freshman quarterback AJ Duffy throws a Hail Mary. It goes to the hands of not one, but two Notre Dame players. Jamar Simpson catches it. Runs it for the touchdown. Knock the ball down. Knock it down. They both could have knocked it down. Literally went right through the hand. Uh, So, Rancho scores 14 points in the last minute and like 12 seconds. Oh, wow. Uh, It was a perfect onside kick. It it, it was, man. So, Rancho Verde, I swear, every single weekend, you know, you you think, okay, they're the one seed, but still, just can they win this one? I had Notre Dame beating them. And, uh, they pulled that one out on the bottom half. Upland playing without Justin Flo, but a whole lot of Cameron Davis yeah. able to upset Calabasas, which one of the bigger surprises. That's not a disrespect to Upland because they are a heck of a football program, but Calabasas was rolling yeah. all season long, and they were able to hold them to just 21 points and only seven in the second half. Um, 0 for 3, Calabasas was 0 for 3. Uh, on fourth down conversion, they had a couple ones late in the fourth quarter that they weren't able to convert, and Upland controlled the ball on the ground. And again, they got that win. It's going to set up a Rancho Verde Upland final. Uh, I'm not sure how many people picked that at the beginning of this bracket, but hats off to both teams for proving a lot of guys wrong, um, myself included. So Rancho will uh, will play for their second straight. I think they won it last year, if I remember correctly, in Division Three with Jeff Steinberg. This year it's Pete Duffy at the helm with the freshman quarterback, his kid AJ, who I've known forever. Um, I love that name. That's my kid's name. And then Upland with Taj Davis making big plays out wide, the younger flow, Jonathan, Cameron Davis, and a, a whole lot of grit and toughness. So great, great final in D2, Keith. I'm seven and one at this point, Greg. Seven and one. Upland gave me my first L. Seven and one in the semis. But congratulations to them. The Davis boys getting it done. Cam toting that peel. You got Greg, November, December football, Greg. You got to be able to run the ball. You got to run the ball. Be physical in the trenches and run the football. Upland. Recipe for success. In November, December football, and they get it done. Great job by them. And uh, wow, you you talking Upland? And who do they have, Greg? Rancho Verde. I called Rancho Verde in a tight one. I didn't know it was going to be this tight, but I called that one. So I'm seven and one at this point, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself. GB, let's take it to Division One. Are you, are you still feeling good about yourself after this modern day centennial? Well, let's go to the let's go to the opposite side of that bracket, Greg. <laughs> let's start off with the opposite. I was going somewhere with this man. Come on, Shakedown Bosco Oaks Christian, fifty-six to ten. Yeah. Um, kind of saw this one coming. Yeah. Not a knock to Oaks or Charlie Collins. No. You know, Turbine had a Zach Turbine had a big touchdown run early on, and then was held, I think, to like thirty yards the rest of the game. Yeah. Just a, a kind of a mismatch in terms of just size and strength and, and athletic gene pool <laughs> <laughs> everywhere all over the all over the field. Yeah, yeah. Bosco's good, Keith. 
it's not a bad little program. It's not a bad little program. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about Oaks Christian. They came out to fight, Greg. They really did. And I, I meet somebody who has been an underdog in, in the game of football and life, so on and so forth. I can appreciate the way they came out. They came out, and I thought Charlie had a great game plan offensively. He, he moved. He moved Zach around. You know, he, he went right at Bosco. Zach busted a long one. He looked great on the touchdown run. He put him in a slot and threw him some balls. They tried to hit him on swing screens. They tried to do things uh, and move Charbonnet around, their best player, and get him the football to where, you know, there wasn't 11 guys around him. Uh, Bosco is really good. We know that. They're really talented. We know that. They're coached really well. We know that. And, um, they're just loaded. I mean, Bo Collins goes in and he, you know, torches the secondary. Jake Bailey shows up and shows out again. A couple touchdown catches. Chris Hudson, long touchdown catch. I mean, they've got Division One players everywhere. The defense is loaded. You know, Lytle. You know, they got everything. You know, Aubrey was a man on the edge. Pepe inside. Naeem Rodman was probably the best player on defense in the game. He was a beast. They're really good. They're really, really good. But, you know, Oaks Christian came out to fight. I called 49-14. It was 56-10, so I was relatively close. At this point, Greg, I'm 8-1, and and I'm feeling good about my upset pick. Centennial in a squeaker. Versus the modern modern day monarchs. I'm feeling good, GB. I've set the stage. Go ahead. You set the stage. Well, you know what? Let's set, let's set the stage uh, once again. The tailgate was on point. Uh, ah, both these two teams, both yes. these two teams, do it right. In fact, Keith, I was the last guy to leave the stadium <laughs> because uh, because after the game was over, I was with my guy Casey Namura and yeah. all of McCallie's family yeah. and. You know, Casey showed up a little bit late, so we we he barbecued the Hawaiian food after the game was over. Nice. So, you know what? That's what it's all about, right there, Keith. It as is. That's what game, it should be, for that's sure. What I'm saying. Yeah. That's what it should be. As far as the game was concerned, you know what? I I don't know what to say about this game, to be honest with you, because one of the most egregious, terrible calls by a referee. In oh the my goodness! High school football. Did yeah. you see this on the replay? I did, and I was, it was embarrassing. I mean, again, you could say, "Well, it's forty to fourteen; it wouldn't have mattered." You don't know that, like the way sports work in, in every sport. Momentum in life, Greg. Like, life in life. Yeah. In life, you cannot say, "Oh, it would have been forty to twenty-one." If you say that would have been forty to twenty-one, you you are a, a complete moron, no. and you know nothing about life. Or that's not how it works. Okay, right. it just. Everything changes, and Marte, you know, was the better team. They they proved that. But second drive of the game, it's zero zero, and you got to know Centennial. You know, JJ did the game. John Jackson did the game. Yeah, and he said it. He said it perfectly. You got to know Centennial's offense is a RPO offense. So there's going to be a, a ton of, you know, you don't know where the football's at. You know, a lot of fake handoffs, quarterback keepers. Sure. So unless you know. Where the ball is at. Don't ever blow your whistle. Just don't do it. On this particular play, yeah. perfectly executed. Freeland goes for 60 yards. The ref blew his whistle. Honestly, watching the highlight of it, I think the ref almost blew his whistle before the guy who he thought had the ball was even tackled. It was almost like impact, huge head, thud, blows whistle. The rest of the guys are still playing. Carter goes for a touchdown, and... It's come. It's called back. It just. It was unbelievable. In the semifinal game, you would not have refs who know the Centennial offense. That's what they do. Therefore, hold your whistle until you actually know where the football is at. Just don't blow it. Long story short, four pick sixes later, it's twenty-eight to nothing. The Marty offense really struggled. They hit a couple of deep balls. Brew hit a had a deep ball touchdown and also uh, also hit like a twenty-five yard touchdown. Um, the other touchdown Marty scores on a really short field when they went for it. You know, I, I thought Centeno had a chance. He scored end of the first half and then start of the second half. Now it was like 35 to 14. Um, got the ball back again, could cut the 35 to 21, and they fumbled. Very next play, Bryce Young gets through the deep ball, and that yeah. was kind of the dagger. Right. I thought there was life in Centennial at that time. It's 35 to 
14. It could have been 35-21. Right. Still early in the third quarter. Fumble. Next play, touchdown. Right. Instant change. And that was it. Centennial's front was really, really impressive. Uh, five of Corey Foreman uh, will be in the discussion for the top defensive end in the nation. He's a senior. He's only a sophomore right now, but he had at least two or three of those sacks. Drake Jackson was tremendous. That whole entire Centennial front was really, really good. I, I didn't think Mario's offense ever looked in sync. Um, and I'll credit Centennial for that. But uh, score ended up being 40-14. to 14. Yeah, it was a lopsided score. But those four pick sixes, three by Elias, and then the young kid, Josh Hunter, who's only a freshman as well, who's going to be really good. Those were just really hard to rally from, Keith. 20 to nothing is really hard to rally from. Um, I guess it seemed like modern day. <sighs> you know, it, it seemed to me, and I didn't see the game, Greg, um, I only was watching, I guess, Twitter updates, yourself, Sadi, Sandy, um, and it seemed like Centennial was able to control the modern day offense. Like you said, modern day's offense struggled, and I thought going in that they would be able to control modern day's offense. I thought whenever you have a dominant defensive front, you can control the other team's offense. You can contain them. Um, and at, at the very least, contain them and at, at your best, turn them over and, and, and enforce penalties and so on and so forth. <clears throat> so you figure if you don't throw four pick sixes, I saw the punt return by Gary Bryant, who's a phenomenal punt returner. I'm still looking for the block in the back. I didn't see it. Uh, it just wasn't Centennial's night. Former... You know, modern day monarch now Centennial's quarterback Carter Freeland had a great year. You know, he struggled this game, and um, I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him. I know he probably wanted this badly. That first play where it gets called back, you could tell. You know, he had the juice rolling. He re-scampers into the end zone. Like I told a certain modern day player, I thought Centennial had a chance. And you know what, Greg? They did. Let's be honest. They did. If they don't implode, they have a chance to win that game. And I'm not talking, you know, a, a, a pee in the ocean chance. I'm talking a real chance to win that game. But as we always say, and I know myself in particular on this show, turnovers and special teams and big games, it normally is going to come down to that. You can't turn it over five times, four for touchdowns. You can't get a special teams touchdown call back. Centennial didn't get it done in the Centennial way. Modern day moves on. Elias Ricks was phenomenal. Hunter made plays. Uh, Brew with the dagger late. And uh, we have a rematch, Greg Biggins. We have a rematch. And you know what? I kind of feel like we could have cut through all 13 of these weeks, Greg, and we could have just played this 13 weeks ago. We could have played it 13 months ago or, I don't know, 11 months ago, 11 and a half, 11 and three-quarter months ago. Can anybody compete anymore, Greg? I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Can you just be honest? Can anybody compete anymore with Bosco Modern? Because it's become it's come to a point where it's becoming redundant, and I don't know if we need to play 13 other weeks anymore. What do you say? <laughs> I think Centennial still can. You know, they, they got a young team. You know, yeah. everyone's coming back except for Drake. Yeah. And a couple of key pieces in the secondary. But, uh, you know, also, and I don't want to shortchange, the Marty defense, Keith, was, yeah. was really good. Okay. Like, they were banging. They were running around. Like, nice. That was the most physical I've seen them play. Yeah. Jeremy Cordell moved to corner. Um, right, I heard that they moved. He looked good. He looked he looked comfortable there at safety. He hasn't looked that comfortable all year for me. They had Moses Epelano playing safety. Mm-hmm. And he was running around and banging people. Um, that front was really impressive. The quarterbacks didn't have a lot of time. We talked about Centennial's front, but modern day really suffocated. And and we could say you know Centennial imploded. That's one way to look at it. But Elias Ricks made plays. Right. It wasn't like you know one of them was an obvious misread. The receiver went was running out of field, and Elias stopped, and the ball went right to him. But you got to always, always say, you know what, don't just say 
the offense screwed up. Sometimes you got to give credit to the defense too, right? Those guys, sure. those guys get paid to play too. Sure. And when I say paid, I don't mean oh, the whoa, to whoa, Greg league. Biggs, whoa. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? To figure <laughs> a speech. To figure a speech. Those yeah. guys are, are trying hard too. Yeah, sure. I should say. Yeah. So I think Centennial. They're also, Keith, you know, Jay Sarah's got a bright future. I was at their game, and uh, everyone knows how strong that you know the IE Ducks program is. And I saw a lot, met a lot of guys that are going to be going to Jay Sarah in the next couple of years. So. I wouldn't just say just those two teams. Marte, Bosco are clearly ahead of everybody else. I, I think those, you know, Centennial's always going to have a chance with Matt Logan. And then uh, I'd watch out for Jay Sarah. They got some young talent as well. They're on the upswing. But uh, other than that, no, D1 is definitely, you know, a pretty lopsided, not a level playing field. So Marte and St. John Bosco, Keith, I'm excited for the Friday show to hear your prediction, your your modern day predictions have been a little bit weird this year, Keith. I got to be honest with you. You had the Jay Sarah one. You had them. Yeah. You had them beating Bosco the first time around, losing to Santana. I I want you to pick them to beat Bosco this time, just because I, everybody else will pick them. Keith, everyone's gonna pick Bosco. Everybody's gonna pick. Bosco. I want you. I want you to be the one guy to stand on the table and say this is gonna be a different game. Mm-hmm. Bryce Young is your guy. Give me a reason why Bryce Young is going to lead this team to the promised land with all odds backed against them. Too much DJ, too much Keon, too much Cole Aubrey, too much Chris Steele, Raylan Gopher. People are going to say this, Keith. I want you to make a case for me on the Friday show, and I want you to go on the limb. I want you to pick the Marty Monarchs, and it's going to be beautiful. And honestly, Keith, it could happen, but I want you to be the guy to go on the record and do it. So Friday show. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for that Friday show right now. Close this one out, Keith, and let's go. It's time to bring this baby to a close. I'm looking forward to the Friday show. We are breaking down the championship games, divisions one through five, one through four, whatever we do. And um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good time. It's going to be a real good time. Some excellent matchups out there. We'll see you then, ladies and gentlemen. From my man, Greg Biggins, it's your boy, Coach Keith. There's a new sheriff in town. And his name's Reggie Hammond. Y'all be cool.